What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Co-op Couch. My name is Anthony. I'm here again, as always, with Alec. Uh, and today we actually have another friend. You will hear me probably multiple times throughout this episode refer to him as Buttons because on Twitch he is We Mash Buttons, but he's my good friend Justin. And the other night I was lurking in my buddy's stream and he mentioned something that I went, damn, I think that'd make one hell of a podcast topic. So we asked him to come here and discuss it with us. Yeah, so tonight we're going to talk to you about why we pay for online services. So if you are someone who plays on console, Xbox, PlayStation, even the Switch now, uh, you have to pay to access internet. And if you pay on PC, you don't. And we want to know, why is that? Why do we have to do that? We already pay for our internet services. Why do we, It's almost like we're double paying to have access to the internet. So back when the Famicom was out, Nintendo tried to do some stuff with some DLC, which didn't work so well. And then we had Sega, who came out with the Dreamcast and tried to do online, specifically that I know of with Fantasy Star Online. And then Nintendo tried to do some online. Uh, as far as I know, the only game again was Fantasy Star Online, but I'm sure there were others. And you had to buy an adapter to connect online and it connected with your, uh, what was it, dial-up? Not dial-up, uh, DSL? Connected with your DSL modem at that time. Yeah, I, I think so. So like for the PlayStation, it was like a $100 brick that literally plugged into the back of the, the PlayStation out of like the two little wire antennas. Um, and, and I think, uh, yeah, I think it, it plugged in through like an Ethernet or whatever, but that was the only way to get it. Yeah, I don't know. I've never, I ne see, I never used any of the adapters. I know Nintendo had one, but I never purchased one. I never used any online. I came really close to buying the PlayStation one one time, but there's just no games that I needed it for. Buttons, did you use any of these? Um, I've never used any of them myself. I'm only actually familiar with some of these older older ones just because of some research that I've done about early attempts for online console gaming. But they, they all take place like back in the 90s and, and stuff like that, which was, you know, quite a while ago. Yeah, early internet era for sure. Yeah. yeah. But from what I've seen so far is like pretty much all the early attempts largely focused around trying to use the internet or like early internet as a way to offer surprisingly a uh, digital game distribution, which is not what I was expecting in any capacity. Like they were largely not focused on any sort of multiplayer at all. A lot of it had to do with being able to download like additional DLCs like on the Famicom, like Kobo was saying, or even some of them for like the Sega, like their very earliest one. They had this like kind of like a blank cartridge, I guess, that you could use to download a game from the internet onto it. And the whole thing was apparently like in RAM, which meant that you would have to download the game each time you wanted to play it. But because it was like this blank thing, you could download whatever game you wanted. And I, from what I've seen, that's like one of the earliest ones that offered a, a subscription. So it kind of sounds like the original business plan for Netflix. Like before Netflix was was what it is now, you know, you go online, you log into your Netflix account, you watch whatever. But Netflix used to be maybe not the process because you don't download shit to a to a physical anything. But, you mm -hmm. know, Netflix back in the day was you go on the website and you pick whatever three movies that you want to order and then they got mailed to you. Um, but it was a monthly subscription like it is now. So it, it almost sounds like that for video games. Yeah, kind of. What's what's interesting is it originally started in Japan and the monthly fee was like 800 yen, which give or take exchange rates, that's the Japanese equivalent of approximately $8 a month. But then Sega actually later 
brought it to North America in 96 or uh, sorry, uh, 94. And the service was actually 15 bucks a month. And at one point it had over 250,000 subscribers, which wow. I can't believe that's actually a lot considering yeah, it is. a lot of people G gaming early on, especially in this era was very niche, N niche, <laughs> excuse me. Niche. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a habit I'm trying to break. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, and um, I believe that it actually ended up phasing out because of actually why did this phase out? I don't know. A, a lot of the early subscription one ended up phasing out due to just being too expensive. And I thought that this one was fell into that category. It probably did, but I'm not I'm not seeing the exact uh, reason on my notes in front of me. Well, that leads us to our next topic too: is paying for online services. Uh, so we have Xbox. You can buy three-month subscriptions for twenty-four ninety-nine uh, for three months, which equates to ninety-six dollars a year. And you have PlayStation Plus uh, on the PSN network is fifty-nine ninety-nine for twelve months. So so fifty-nine ninety-nine for a year. Now you were just saying that originally it was eight eight hundred yen. So that was eight dollars back. In, I mean that's that's in Japan, and then they upped yeah. it to what fifteen? Well, fifteen when it came to the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For for us. Which is quite a lot, especially when you factor in that this was in 1994, 1995, yeah. where it is more expensive. Like, that's not $15 today. That's $15. Yeah, for today. sure. Which is funny because 15 a month is today is still more than I would pay for a service like that. Yeah. Isn't that what Netflix is? 15 a month? I don't pay for Netflix. I don't pay for Netflix. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You also have to keep in mind too, like comparing it to, to Netflix, like was Netflix that expensive early on when they were mailing you CDs in or like DVDs in the mail? Like, uh, I think it was 11. I never used Netflix back in the day. I only know of what it is now. We used to, my family used to, and I'm pretty sure it was like 11 or 12. Don't quote me on that, but I'm, I'm like 90% positive. Okay. Well, that's interesting because like at that stage, it's actually fairly comparable to what movie rentals were back in the day, probably cost wise. Right. So if you went to Blockbuster or something like that, how much were you paying per movie rental? I'm sure the Netflix alternative was quite competitive in terms of costs with it being, say, a monthly fee or what have you. And that's kind of what the early versions of these online services were and priced uh, apparently you know quite similar because i mean at the same time you have to figure you're doing you could do game rentals from a blockbuster or something like that as well and it probably would be a somewhat similar price so the the concept at this time is not too far-fetched but I, right. I think where the idea of this really starts to get away from the original business model and where it really diverges is what the modern version of these services look like because you have Netflix being a great example for this parallel where originally they were literally mailing out DVDs for a certain amount of month for your subscription. And you could, would just do one at a time um, and, and return it. But now Netflix is everything is streaming. So right. just because the original cost model for Netflix originally, which involved mailing DVDs was a set price. Yes, it's more convenient now, but does that necessarily justify the same subscription cost? And from a consumer standpoint, you could say, actually, it's probably worth a little bit more because it's more convenient. But on the other end of it, it, is Netflix only charging that much just because they can get away with it because of what they were previously charging with a different business model, you know? Yeah, 
Well, and their previous business model too, let's not forget that the biggest the biggest appeal when they first started, even when they were on the mailing system, it, it, late fees, right? Like we talk about how much Blockbuster used to cost. If anyone can even fucking remember, there's no way I can, but that's where they got you was the late fees, man. You, that movie went in one day too late back in that slot and, and it was another cost. And then shit, my buddy still has a fucking Xbox video game from 2007 that we straight up never returned. Yeah, well, that's uh, like a student loan right there in late. Yeah. yeah, that's probably why they fucking lost every single <laughs> blockbuster because uh, people got all their rent in a fucking game case. But yeah, like the the costs have have evolved, I think, for different reasons, that being one of them. So just real quick, just yeah. real quick, uh, I pulled up a quick inflation calculator because you said 1994 ish, 1994, 1996. Yeah. Um, so at $15 back then is equivalent. Uh, According to this calculator, is equivalent to about twenty four to twenty six dollars. So it Damn. seems to have adjusted with inflation quite well. That's actually thank, thank God. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm more surprised at the the relative cost back then, or the fact that it's inflated that much in twenty five years. So that that rate of inflation is seventy four point eight percent, according to this calculator. In twenty five years, I, that that just Holy. kind of blows my mind. It's absurd. Yeah. That's a lot of inflation, dude. Jesus. So. Is it really that bad that we're, you know, that we're paying for console service things like Xbox Live, PlayStation Plus, whatever? Here's a comparison. We're speaking on subscriptions. We mentioned Netflix. How many people pay for an MMO? Like, wow, you know, Final Fantasy 14 is about 15 bucks a month. And that's actually just the game. That's not even a, a service like your internet, but you pay for it. So, you know, I'm looking at these prices, 96 a year for Xbox, uh, 60 a year for PlayStation. But if you do the math on a, a $15 a month game subscription, like, wow, comes out to $180 a year. That's that's three times PlayStation Plus is three times less in a year. Is it really that bad or is it worth it? And something interesting to note here, uh, Co, you mentioned that when when we were doing our research on these prices, you actually, as far as we know, Per their website, you can't even buy a gear of Xbox Live anymore, at least not online. No, from what I saw online, you could only buy that you could buy one month or you could buy three months. And they obviously they give you a discount for buying three months at a time. Sure. Uh and, and so one month was ten dollars and three months is twenty-five dollars. So you're saving yourself five bucks for three months. And I I don't know why they got rid of buying the year. My only thing to say is that they were losing out. Because they were offering a deal for buying a year, they were losing out on too much money. But still, I don't know why you wouldn't just change your prices and not let people. Because I'm the type of I don't want to subscribe every three months. I don't want to renew every three months. I'd rather just pay for the year and have it. Yeah. Right. Well, I wonder if you can stack them too. Like, can you can you buy three months four times? I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could. That, that actually is how Xbox uh, Gold works. If you got they they actually sell them as like multi packs. If you're just in like the gift card section of you know wherever you would buy gift cards, and they actually do have multi packs of Xbox Live Gold membership, like whatever you want to call them. And the the way they work is yeah, you can redeem them, and all it does is extend your subscription. Like at least from the the gift cards, all it does is extend your subscription by the amount on the gift card. So if it's a three pack of one month, you know, cards and you redeem them all at once, it'll just total you up to I have three months remaining on my uh, subscription before it will renew or expire. It, you know, if you have credit card on 
on file to actually renew it, what have you. But yeah, so you absolutely could go out and just stack three-month subscriptions to prolong the inevitable expiration and or uh, renewal of your membership. That's See, definitely a thing. And that's weird to me because why would you... Like, it's it's already weird that they don't offer a year, but, you know, okay, fine. So let's say they don't offer a year and they sell, they sell a three-month uh, membership card to redeem. Why bother selling it in a four-pack to equal a year when you could just sell one card at a year? Yeah, right. Like, like, what's the so point? Weird to me. Well, so the, the, the only thing I can think of is similar to how sometimes they have like movie theater gift cards that come in three packs. So you might be able to buy that and then hand one out to like one to each friend or something, which I've always thought that like multi-pack of gift cards is kind of a weird concept in the first place because as if gift cards weren't like not personal enough, now you're getting the same gift card for a bunch of people instead of individual. Yeah. But I, I digress. I, I believe that that is kind of what those are for as opposed to design to, to stack them. But nonetheless, you can actually stack them, which I find kind of interesting. If I could, though, going back a bit, I think it's interesting how we've come to be at the point where the Xbox Gold no longer offers a one-year uh, subscription model. And I think that kind of just goes back to the history of Xbox starting to charge for their online access in the first place. Like we've kind of talked about the the really early origins of you know subscription-based online access, but to a certain degree, it relates to the way that um, it's kind of structured in the sense that it is a predecessor. But the modern version of things really takes a different shape and form. And that all kind of started with Xbox Live. And I believe it was back in uh, 2005 with the launch of the Xbox 360, where they introduced Xbox Live and the membership or the, the concept of uh, Xbox Gold membership. And has it been the same price this entire time? I'm actually not... So sure about that. So I'm unsure about pricing. I don't know about pricing. I feel like it used to be cheaper, but I'm not. I, I, you know, don't quote me on that. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I feel like it used to be cheaper though. But didn't the original Xbox have? I know. So while the Xbox 360 had Xbox Live Gold membership, the original Xbox had Xbox Live, and I believe you just paid for that as well. Like it was Xbox Live Gold, but you had to pay for like what they would deem as, you know, what gold is now you would get, but they just didn't call it gold. Right. So I never had the original Xbox, but I would have to assume so just because of Halo. Like Halo multiplayer was such a huge thing. I, I don't remember, but I, I would have to assume that's right. I'm like 90% sure I've played Halo online on my buddy's Xbox way back in the day. Yeah. So, so what I what I'm seeing here is so you're right. Xbox Live was introduced to the Xbox in 2002, which I believe is after the launch of the Xbox itself. But Xbox Live had both a free and subscription based service. Um, Xbox Live Free was always just known as Xbox Live Silver, and then Xbox Live Gold was always the subscription based version of it. Um, but apparently that, from what I'm seeing, I could be wrong. Apparently that uh, has existed since the introduction of Xbox Live. Yeah, so they've kept it the same throughout the years since, what did you say, 2002? Yeah. Shit, it's been that long, 18 yeah. years since the launch of the original Xbox. That's pretty crazy. And a, a lot's come from the fact that we've 
seen Xbox Live live that long. Because like originally when it was introduced, Xbox and Microsoft were the only ones trying to approach it with this sort of business model. PlayStation and their PlayStation Network was pretty much the only competitor at the time. When Xbox was introduced, the corresponding same-gen PlayStation console was PlayStation 2, which was just starting to get its feet wet into online. They didn't have their whole network. It was kind of like a per-game basis, I believe. And it really just supported the ability for games to utilize network connections as opposed to uh, being fully integrated into, say, the PlayStation Network, which was introduced with PlayStation 3. But when PlayStation 3 did come out, it was free. And that was a very conscious decision that Sony opted into to keep the PlayStation Network fully free and online access and gaming fully free to offer a competitive advantage over the fact that people on Xbox had to pay for their subscription services to get Xbox Live Gold to um, actually be able to play with their friends and so on. And whether that worked for them in the short term, long term, you know, that's kind of besides the point because as time went on, Microsoft really proved that just, hey, we're able to retain our our, uh, user base, whether it's through just the console and it's the the power that it's boasts through console exclusives through whatever it might be we're noticing that our users are not jumping ship at the fact that they have to pay for online services and we're still able to retain our user base and so that competitive advantage that uh, that Sony was hoping to get kind of fell for not i'm i'm sure they probably found some PlayStation loyalists through that um i remember that being a large debate back in back in school but Regardless, you know, the subscription didn't really drive too many people away. And so it just became this precedent that if you wanted to play on Xbox, you had to pay to play with your friends. And that really is what laid the foundation moving forward for eventually the PlayStation Network to also introduce uh, PlayStation Plus. And even the more modern day, Nintendo is jump- has jumped on and their Switch Online is introduced as well. Granted, yeah. it's uh, a lot cheaper than the other uh, services at only $20 a year for their subscription. But it's gotten to the point where now every single major console uh, manufacturer has jumped aboard this this concept, this business model. I think, yeah, I think it's one of those things that they, like, companies just know, right? It's one of those things that no, no matter who complains about it, no matter how much complaining there is about it, they know we're just going to pay for it. We're going to pay for it anyway. And uh, Nintendo, you know, super nod to Nintendo. Like you said, yeah, it's it's cheaper. It's, it's uh, you know, I've got it in front of me, actually. It's only four bucks a month. It's $8 for three months. It's 20 for the entire year. And interestingly enough, one thing that they offer that the others don't is a family membership where, so like if you have Xbox Live, you have to get Xbox Live for every single fucking account. You have to. That's how it works. I mean, granted, you can have guests play online from your account, like if you're all playing Halo from the same console. So maybe that's the trade-off. But the family membership, in case anyone is not familiar, is $35 for a year. So already it's almost half. And it's for up to eight Nintendo account holders. That's a big deal. That's a, that's a lot less uh, in, in general. That's a big price difference. Yeah, it is significantly less. So can okay. So can we all agree that like can we can we basically agree that it's one of those things? No matter how much you can complain, like people on consoles are going to pay for this, which is probably why they all do it, right? Uh, Sony, Nintendo, they were missing out on the subscription that Microsoft was giving. 
I, yeah. I would actually, well, before I get into that, um, I would wager that that's exactly why, bringing it back, uh, Xbox does not offer the one-year memberships anymore is because it's been such a successful business model for them that they have realized, well, people are going to pay for it anyway. And probably the consumer base fell to that same mindset where, oh, well, if I have an Xbox, I know I'm going to be gaming on it for the next couple years till the next one's released. So of course I'm going to buy the one-year subscription because it's, you know, it's inevitable that I'm going to be having Xbox Gold that entire time. So I feel like because the consumer base resigned themselves to this mentality, most people were just opting into the the one-year plan. Now, I, I don't have the statistics to back that up. This is merely uh, conjecture or uh, assumption, but I, I would wager that that is exactly why they no longer offer that one-year uh, because they were losing out on these potential profits that they were uh, resigning their consumers to pay. I would agree. I, I think that that's a really good point. Uh, Microsoft saw an opportunity to make more money, and they they took they took full grasp of it. And why why not? I mean, from a co- from a company perspective, at least you saw they saw an opportunity to make more money, and so they got rid of their one year subscription, and they raised their prices or did what they needed to do with their their three months, and and they got they got people hooked. And people, you're right. I think people have resigned to the fact that. Hey, you know what? We're going to be paying for online services if we play on console. I think that's exactly how it went down. So, from a business perspective, there they could have gone the route of just modifying the price of how much their one-year subscription cost. But I feel like that would have been a bit too transparent for the move that they were making. Um, I feel like if they just went, "Hey, yeah, the I, I don't remember exactly how much the the one year had costed, but let's say it was seventy five dollars instead of a hundred dollars or something like that. If they just went, yeah, we're gonna cost, we're gonna charge it ninety dollars instead of ninety six, or even just the same, like ninety six dollars for the whole year. I feel like people would have gotten a lot more upset about it than them simply just removing the one year option. Like by removing the one year option, they're forcing people to then. Um, pay a minimum of $96 instead of just increasing the price, right? It's kind of a bit less transparent of a way of doing the same thing, which is... It's like mind tricks. Yeah. But again, if people are so resigned to that same, that mindset of I'm paying for it eventually, they might get upset about the fact that it's the price has now gone up. But if they're just now forced to pick a different alternative, they might not realize that that mandatory price has gone up and therefore just kind of allow themselves to keep that mentality of being resigned to it. Like, man, I have to do it anyway. That kind of sucks that they took that option away instead of going, hey, that thing I have to do, they, they're, they're making me pay even more now. I don't know. Kind of, kind of a, just an interesting perspective in terms of like, I, 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 think, I think they're very much aware of the mindset of the consumer and the culture that they've cultivated around all of it. I hope that doesn't sound too cynical, but I'm, Pretty sure they know exactly what's going on and yeah, what they're no. doing. I, I would agree. Me too. I would agree. If if we accept that we're going to pay this cost anyway, and we accept what the prices are, uh, let's talk about a little silver lining here, right? You're paying, you know, let's say I pay my $60 for, for PlayStation Plus. Again, cheaper than an MMO subscription for an entire year. I am also getting free games. Things like Xbox uh, Games with Gold, right? 
you have a Xbox Live Gold subscription, you get a free game every month. Uh, actually, while we were doing our research before this episode, I found out they also have an upgrade to that. It's it's called like Xbox Ultimate, where the Game Pass, which now also gives you PC interaction, by the way, the the Ultimate upgrade gives you as well access to their in beta, from what I understand by reading this, but there's an Android mobile interaction with xbox now as well as a cloud beta and so it's a bunch of it's access to a bunch of games first day releases blah 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 i don't really need to dive into that my point is you're you're getting benefits for paying this cost right playstation does it too they have the the uh, you know a free game every month on playstation plus and uh nintendo offers the snes and the nes emulation which um, I would argue is not as appealing just because you can emulate on your PC, uh, assuming you can find the ROM. Uh, but then again, Nintendo's a lot cheaper. So either way, we're getting things out of paying this cost that we just accept as a normalcy. That being said, if I'm getting shit out of it anyway, it's almost like they're not, in my opinion, it's almost like they're not gaining anything. It's like, if you're gonna give me a free game and I would have just paid for the game, why am I paying this cost anyway? So the question becomes, I'll direct this one to Alec. Where's that money going? What are, what are, What is this cost doing for us? And how do these servers work? I think it all comes down to server maintenance. I mean, it comes to, it's the same thing that people do with subscription-based MMOs, right? So when you play World of Warcraft or you play Final Fantasy online or what have you, and you pay that monthly subscription, that money that you pay for after you've bought in the game goes towards keeping those servers up and running. And I also think it goes towards adding new content to those to those games in the case of subscription MMOs. In the case of the subscription-based online play, it's probably meant for server maintenance, but instead of adding new things to the game, they're just adding new things to the service. You know, if you know back in the day you couldn't watch Netflix or anything else on top of playing your games online on your original Xbox, now we have Netflix access, we have Hulu, all that stuff is on top of it. For those of you that don't know, uh, when you connect to Xbox Live, so here's the way it works. So game dev, people will say, well, why don't we just connect directly to the game dev servers? Well, we, mm -hmm. we can't. And here's the thing. When we connect to Xbox Live, we have to connect to Xbox's, Microsoft's servers or PlayStation, Sony's servers. And then from there, we get routed to the game developer servers, be that EA or whoever owns Call of Duty now, Activision. Activision. Yeah. Activision. yeah. Or whomever else, right? For whatever online game that we're playing, uh, you know, Fortnite would be Epic servers. But it brings an in interesting perspective because Microsoft kind of forced this. They forced people, oh, well, if you want to put the game on the console, if you want to put a game on our console and have it be online play, you have to go through our Xbox Live, which means the developers need to work with connecting to Xbox Live and getting that stuff set up on their end. Well, Microsoft sets up their stuff to connect and talk with the developer's side. Is this necessary? Is this something that we need? They could have just said, yeah, if you connect to the internet like you do on PC, you can just direct connect to the developer servers. Why not? Like that, that is absolutely an option they could have done. I think that one thing we get out of it is an extra layer of security. I think that's a big factor. By routing our information through Xbox or PlayStation servers, I think we get an extra layer of security, or an extra step away from people accessing our information, which could be definitely be a good thing. On the other side, is it worth having, you know, how unsecure is our actual internet connection? Is that something that people could easily break through, get our, get our information. 
or, we do it on PC. Why can't we do it on Xbox? Or did Xbox see this as an opportunity to force themselves in and kind of monopolize on this situation to make money? Because again, they were the pioneers of this. I was just going to say, I wonder why Xbox isn't charging everyone 30% to fucking <laughs> going back to our fucking uh, Epic versus Apple shit. Like, yeah, just we'll 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 let everyone go straight to your servers, but uh, you know, thirty thirty percent of uh, whatever whatever is bought from your server by bypassing our servers. I'm kidding. I'm totally. <laughs> <laughs> I find it just really interesting. Uh, there, there's like so much to touch on on what you were saying, but right at the very end, you know, you're asking, did Microsoft intentionally like insert themselves to be this like monopolization type factor and have just ultimate control over the things that are going on? And ultimately, I would say, yeah, that that was intentionally their plan, because if it wasn't, they wouldn't have made it a mandatory requirement to go through their servers and to allow peer to peer or uh, to connect to dedicated servers or other things like that. Um, if it's something that they wanted to offer, they could have simply done that. They could have offered it and not enforced it where, hey, this is an area or Microsoft could have offered their Xbox Live network as an additional layer um, for those wishing to take advantage. But the fact that they are forcing them to kind of just goes back to what you're saying about the the Apple versus Epic, right? It's, hey, we want to have control over this despite what the actual uh, individual developers uh, wish. And there's been a lot of instances that I've seen where that can actually get in the way of the game developers doing what they actually want to do. The experience that they wish to deliver, whether it's from an um, online perspective or from a multiplayer perspective or or what have you. I feel like it has a lot to do with the fact that cross-play is still just now kind of cresting the threshold into becoming mainstream as well. Yeah, it's opening up a little For bit. For sure, yeah. It's starting to, but like I remember um, really early on the concept of cross-play between PlayStation and Xbox was just unfathomable and it had to do with the fact that both of them had their own respective networks that they were forced to go through and potential agreements between, you know, uh, Sony or Microsoft for like working out how that those two would even be able to, you know, uh, connect in the first place and, and all that kind of stuff for peer to peer aspects and, and what have you. Because you keep in mind, like the more that you start to open up crossplay, the more that people lose incentive for owning an individual console. Like way, way back in the day, you had the console wars where it was Xbox versus uh, PlayStation. And you kind of had to have that conversation with your friends at school about like, all right, so we're all going to get Xbox, right? That way we can all play together on the same game. Like if, if you got one console and everyone else in your friend group got the other console you were doomed you you were you were the odd man out you could never play with your friends right well and even as it died out though like even as it died out because i had this problem you end up with you that person with both consoles and you have to figure out okay which one are you like which one are you buying this game for so we can play together and then you inevitably end up with both fucking copies anyway yep right but right. Keep, keep in mind though like the the sale of the additional copy is the only thing that benefits the actual game 
developer right is the fact that they're selling two which normally they're not selling two they're just selling one to either playstation or one to either microsoft so the ones that stood the most to actually benefit from shutting down this concept of crossplay were the actual platforms themselves microsoft or sony to help it's the same idea as the um as console exclusives why microsoft would pay so much money to have a title exclusively on their console to try to lure in um consumers right and so if in the schoolyard it didn't matter if two friends had the same console or different consoles they could still play together then there is no concept of this console exclusive for a game that's on both platforms but when you have a game that's on both platforms and the entire play group of people who are playing together have to be on the same console you start to get a pseudo console exclusive it's not a console exclusive game it's a console exclusive network of people to play with so if you want to be there you have to go through the respective company and so the companies themselves stood to benefit from shutting down this sort of of innovation and being the ultimate authority with what goes on on their own network yeah i think it's really i mean uh, so i like the way that you said ultimate authority because just to be clear I personally am not a fan of the use of the word monopolization here, just because even though they're trying to maybe in that regard, take over, like, you know, yeah, you have to go through our servers and our servers are out to your servers. They want to be that, like we use the term middleman that, that for sure. But monopolization, I, I just don't think it works because if I, like, if I'm Microsoft, right. And I, I tell, um, whoever the fuck owns destiny now, right? If I'm like, Hey, it's, you're, anymore? it's Bungie now. I fucking trash game. So if, <laughs> if, um, you know, it's like, if I say, Hey, you've got to, you've got to connect, uh, you've got to connect to our network and then we'll route people to your servers, whatever. Uh, they want to be the middleman. They want to be in charge. That's fine and dandy. But at the end of the day, destiny is still on PlayStation. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's not a true monopolization because if the game is on other consoles, it'll never be those servers monopolized. Right? True. And, and on top of that, it comes back to the capitalistic idea of it's their platform. They can do whatever the hell they want with it. Like, it, it's their company. They can run it how they want. They can, they can do what they want with it. And then it's up to the consumer to vote with their dollar of whether they support that idea or not. Um, in terms of talking about any one individual instance, right? Like you, to say that Xbox it has monopolized Xbox Live, it's like, well, of course, they're the only people who own it. Of course they would. Like it's their platform. But yeah, so like ultimate authority kind of comes back yeah. down because it's they want to have the complete creative direction and influence over the way that things are handled on their own platform instead of opening it up or making it optional to give the developers and ultimately the consumer the best experience that they could possibly have. So a couple notes on that. On top of trying to control like the market themselves, I think a big key aspect of this too is they get to control the, the interface, the way that the user relates to the game. Right. So, and what I mean by that, I guess, is like if you've played on Xbox, and I know PlayStation has it too, you hit the little like 
Xbox button. I I had Xbox, so I can relate to Xbox mm-hmm. more. You hit the little Xbox button in the middle of your controller, and it brings you to the dashboard where you can activate all your friends and stuff like that. They get to control all that because the game has to interact with that. So I want to say it's like branding in a way, although it's it's branding isn't really the right right word, but it's a way to kind of keep everything in the right method. So like for instance, if you were playing, if you guys were playing Destiny, we'll just use that as an example because. Anthony brought it up for the millionth time. <laughs> Did that for your brother. <laughs> Shoutouts to Cobro. Uh, if you guys are playing Destiny and I want to join you, and let's say um, we weren't going through Xbox Live, right? I might have to join you guys a separate way than just hitting the Xbox button on my controller and going to your username or your gamer tag and hitting join game. Right. It might be a separate yeah. way. And if you have that for every online game, it gets confusing. It gets it gets absurd on how it works. So by Xbox having this Xbox Live, it's controlled in this one manner. This is how you connect to other people. This is the process you go through no matter what game it is. And then the other key I wanted to make is to your point, uh to your point, buttons, uh, you were saying this this uh you know, ultimate authority, I think, is the is the better term for these guys. I mean, monopolization is not the right term. But like you guys were saying, while it might not be the console exclusive, it is amongst the group of friends. And to reiterate what Button said, if you're in the schoolyard and your friends have Xboxes, you know, and you guys are figuring out what game you're going to play, uh, what console you guys are going to get, and you have you know, your option to buy Destiny on Xbox or PlayStation, you're going to get it on Xbox. So it kind of creates this one-sided sway because that's what your friends have. Yeah, I, I think... South Park captured that really well with their uh, Black Friday console war episode. I mean, granted, it's South Park, so there's tons of other, like, absurdities, but that's basically the entire premise is, like, them in the schoolyard trying to figure out which console they're going to end up going with. Consoles suck. PC mysteries. <laughs> but to, to go to your, your first point, right, uh, I, I don't know if that's so much about creating u- uniformity in in terms of like uh them all interacting with say the xbox dashboard i don't know if that is so much about creating uniformity as it is about forcing it and kind of having your hand in every different cookie jar that you can possibly get it into right because i i think steam is a really good example of this regardless of how you feel about steam good guy steam bad guy steam whatever one of the things that i really like about steam is that you can add non-steam games to your library which basically all that does is create a shortcut to the game on your computer and it's kind of convenient because you can just look at one game library and launch whatever you want even if it's non-steam but the additional benefit, and some of you guys might not even know this, and the additional benefit for adding a non-Steam game to your Steam library is that if you launch it through Steam, you can still press Shift-Tab or whatever, if you change the hotkey, whatever hotkey you set it to, to bring up the Steam overlay while you're in-game. And granted, it's not automatically linked in with, with anything else. You can still access all the comforts of home of like the Steam overlay from within any other game, including Steam hooks for displaying fps at the top of your game and and all other kinds of really cool things but enough about steam how, how this all relates to uh your point was that if it really was about trying to help create the best user experience possible they wouldn't necessarily force it but they would offer it as an option or or strongly encourage developers to utilize it for games that are developed for the Xbox such that they could, but it wouldn't be like a hard requirement, right? 
I, I think it's strange that they force it to, to be a hard requirement instead of encouraging developers to utilize it. Because again, coming from Steam, the Steam background, that's what um, you see with Steam's natural or uh, Steam's ability to like interact with friend groups and like invite players and stuff like that is ultimately it's up to the developer to integrate with as much as they want with the um, services and capabilities that Steam has to offer. If you want to go through some sort of in-game mechanism that completely short circuits uh, or not short circuits, but bypasses Steam's concept of friendless or inviting or parties or anything like that, cool. It's up to the developer to do that. If but those tools are there and offered by Steam if the developers wish to utilize them. And at that point, it's up to the developers to figure out what would make the best best user experience for their users instead of it every single game being forced to use the exact same mechanisms, whether it makes sense for that game or not, right? Um, and and I, I guess that's the, the distinction is, if you can't tell by now, I'm not a fan of forsaking what might be a better user experience in the same in, in the name of maintaining like that ultimate control over your platform right I, I would i would much favor them offer these tools and encourage developers to integrate with them as opposed to enforcing that hard requirement so counterpoint while i understand what you're trying to say about how steam gives developers the freedom to kind of make their own thing they still have the fact that you can shift tab to access the overlay in every game it doesn't matter what game and you were even saying even if it's not a steam game you can do it that is a it it's not a it's a it is a hard requirement because the game has to have access to that or does steam maybe steam does steam override that maybe i'm speaking wrong does steam kind of take precedence because you're launching it through steam but i think what i was getting at to be in the beginning point was imagine if when you want to go launch a game on steam and you were like you're playing a game and i want to play with you guys there was a different invite system for every different game I play. So instead of being able to shift tab and go to your my friends list and click, hey, invite to game, and you guys get the Steam message pop up like the way it is. Imagine if I had to do, you know, alt Q. And I say that because those are the first two keys that I set on my keyboard. And then that brought up a different contextual menu for me to invite you guys through. And yes, there are ways in game to do that stuff too sometimes, but not always in every game. Most of the time, playing on steam i have to shift tab well okay but hang on so to be fair that that there is a thing that still happens perfect example uh if you play uh tom clancy's ghost recon wildlands right if i launch that through steam it will still launch you play which is the ubisoft motherfucking awful launcher and you have to, you have to, if I'm playing Wildlands with my friends, I have to hit, all, I think it's Alt F2 to open the Uplay menu and invite them through that. But does that count because you're no longer going through Steam anymore? You're going through Uplay. But Steam is what opened it. But it doesn't matter. It opened up a new launcher. And we discussed that in our launchers episode. Right. But <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that what you guys were saying? I mean, I mean... You cannot use the Steam system, is, is my point. Even though I opened it in Steam, I cannot use Steam's invite system that is universal. So I get I guess what I'm thinking, I guess what I'm thinking is on Xbox, right? No matter what game I play, I go to my friends list and I hit join game. Doesn't matter what game it is, right? Absolutely the same. You know, as long as it's an online game, I can join your game in the same manner. On Steam, 
yes, when you launch a game like Ghost Recon, uh, it launches the Uplay launcher, and now you're going through something that's not Steam. In correlation, that would be if you were going through something, if you went to go launch a game on Xbox and it opened up a whole new game, and now you're going through something that's not Xbox. And that's part of the reason why we have Xbox Live is to keep that uniform. So okay. that shit like that doesn't happen. That's kind of what I'm getting at. So shit like that doesn't happen. Got you. Okay, I, 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 can, I can see that. But where I'm coming from is I don't see that as a quote-unquote problem that the that microsoft should be the ones attempting to solve i think that if microsoft built the tools for game developers to integrate with to help create a standardization instead of forcing it if that makes sense so you could give them an option and then consumers could get really confused and not know what to do well at the end of the day it is up to the game developers to build something that makes sense if they if they build something that's just nonsensical, you have every right to be upset at the game developer and not Microsoft for not forcing them to integrate with their own services, right? Like like uh, I, I guess the, the the counterpoint to this that I'm trying to make is like with Steam they offer these things but they don't enforce them. So if I'm playing a game on Steam and I try to use you know what, whatever system that the game has implemented, whether they're utilizing Steam's like party system or whatever, um, or or just the custom one, I'm ultimately going to get frustrated at the developer for whatever mangled contraption they've tried to make that doesn't work, that's in causing me to get frustrated. I'm not upset with Steam or their ability to have a party system. It's ultimately on the developer. And I guess that's what I'm saying. It's, it's just the burden of, of the solution of this. So buttons, I think I get what you're saying here. Tell me if tell me if I'm on the right track. So here's an example. Risk of Rain 2 was in uh whatever you want to call it, beta, early access, what what have you. Risk of Rain 2 was great. And Risk of Rain 2 incorporated the Steam invite system. So if I'm in Risk of Rain 2 and I click the the plus button in the game in my lobby, it'll open the Steam overlay and then I can click my invite buttons on anyone I want to design. But now Risk of Rain 2 launched, and if I go to a multiplayer lobby, those plus signs are still there, but if I click on them, well, so you, let me rephrase, you can do that, but I have Steam Overlay disabled for a different setting reason, and so if I click those plus buttons, they don't open, it doesn't do shit, and now I have to copy and paste a friend ID, and that is by choice of the developer, not Steam. Right. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yes, for, for the most part. Hey guys, it's Alec. Thanks for listening. This episode got really long, so we decided to split it into two episodes. Part two will be out next week. Till then, stay safe, be happy, and we'll see you in the next one.